This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Psalm 123, Psalm 123, as we uh, continue our journey through the Psalms of Ascents. If you're new to Prince, one of the things you might have noticed, because we experienced it this morning, uh, is that we give a standing ovation for every baptism. That is intentional and that is convictional on our part. The first time the Lord began to convict me of that was in a study of Luke 15 when it says that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. What that means is this. It means that all of heaven rejoices when someone is saved. Heaven rejoices. I don't know what that looks like, but I know that there is joy and there's happiness and there is applause in heaven when someone gets saved. And if that's the atmosphere of heaven, then certainly that should be the atmosphere of the church. And so we really rejoice in that and give a big standing ovation. As a matter of fact, as you heard this morning, sometimes we get a lot of woos and all that kind of stuff because we get happy and excited about baptism. Sometimes I wonder if we should give a little disclaimer to the one who's being baptized. You know, maybe right before they go out, we should say, okay, here's what's about to happen is you're going to go out there and we're going to ask you some questions and then we're going to baptize you. And uh, when you come up, you're going to hear applause and shouts because everyone, as you look at it, is going to be standing and applauding you. But the disclaimer is this, that may be the last time you ever get a standing ovation for loving Jesus. Like what if, what if this was totally new to someone and they gave their life to Christ and wanted to be baptized and then in their mind they thought, well, is this how it's always going to be? And so they go to work the next day and say, I gave my life to Jesus and they're just waiting for the standing ovation. Right? They go back to their friends or to the team or wherever they are and they're just waiting and they realize very quickly, we don't get a lot of standing ovations in life for anything and we don't get almost any for following Jesus Christ. I think the long line of faithful believers in the past would bear witness to this fact. I think about the prophets given messages from God to deliver to rebellious people and rebellious kings and rebellious nations. I remember many of them getting beaten and killed, but very few of them, I don't remember any, getting a standing ovation for their message. I think about the Apostle Paul who many times was beaten and stoned and thrown into prison and even physically thrown out of cities. But I never remember him walking into a city and there's a standing ovation waiting for him as he goes in. Now, to be fair, Jesus did receive a standing ovation when he came into Jerusalem. But the people who gave him the standing ovation were the exact same ones who then a few days later declared, crucify him. So it just didn't last very long. And Jesus prepared his disciples for this over and over and over again. In John 15, he says, listen, a servant is not above his master. If they hated me, which they did, they're going to hate you. And if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. In the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most important just kind of moral instruction for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says, 
you will be persecuted and reviled, meaning not only a physical persecution, but even a, a verbal being reviled for righteousness sake. So Jesus over and over wanted us to understand that when we come into this life with Jesus, that type of action towards us should be expected. It's not an exception. It should be expected. Now, for most of us, that's not a daily reality. Most of us live in a place in which in some way, no one's super angry that we know Jesus. But throughout all the centuries, and in most places around the world, people are not only not applauded for their relationship with Jesus Christ, they do receive a lot of persecution. They are reviled. They do suffer for Christ's sake. It kind of is par for the course. It goes with the journey. It's, it's one of the things that's told us as we enter into life with Jesus. And Psalm 23 exists to help us know how to navigate that. How do we navigate it on our journey with Jesus when there is contempt towards us, when we're reviled, when we're persecuted for the sake of, of Jesus Christ? I want to remind you, Psalm 123 is one of our Psalms of Ascent. There are 15 of these. Uh, this is the fourth one that we've done together. They were sung by the people of God. It was kind of their songbook as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And the reason that has something to do with us is because these songs exist as a metaphor to teach us how to walk with Jesus Christ. It's really important for us. There may be no place in all of scripture we receive more clear and practical instruction on the walk with Jesus. And one of the things we're trying to confront is this idea that being a Christian is saying a prayer and then putting that little Christian little card in your pocket and getting it out when you die and giving it to the Lord and saying, no, I did that. We're trying to communicate that the decision to follow Jesus is that. It is a decision to trust and follow Jesus. And everyone must come to a moment, some of you need to do it today, in which you realize the world has lied to you. And there is nothing better in all of life than knowing and walking with Jesus Christ. Everything else is a disappointment. And you come to a moment in which you say, Lord, I'm tired of the lies. I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm ready to give my life to you. But that's the beginning of a lifelong journey in which every day we're learning how to follow Jesus Christ. Sometimes we do it well. Sometimes we do it very poorly. But we're learning how to walk with Jesus. And these Psalms exist for that. And Psalm 123 is really helping us know how we walk with Jesus when there's no standing ovations. And as a matter of fact, we get the opposite. If you're there in Psalm 23, say amen. It says this. To you, I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Now, everything in this psalm revolves around three key words. The first one is used twice in verse two. It is the word look, and you can circle that. It says, behold, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of the master. And then it says again at the end of verse two, so our eyes look to our God. The second word is the word mercy. It's at the end of verse two, and then twice in verse three. 
till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Have mercy upon us. And the third word you want to circle is the word contempt. It's used twice. Once at the end of verse three, for we have had more than enough of contempt, of the contempt at the end of verse four of the proud. And all three of those words refer to a different posture. This is gonna be a helpful way to think about this. Remember, I, I tell you, not only do we need to feel the Psalms, but often we need to imagine the Psalms. And so they are different postures. The first is the posture of the world. And the second is the posture of God's people. And the third is the posture of God. It is really the world's posture towards us, our posture towards God and God's posture towards us. And they're defined in those three words. But in order to understand it, we have to start from the bottom up. And so we have to work our way from the last part of the Psalm because that sets the context and then work our way up to how we respond to the context. But the first thing I want you to see from this Psalm is the world's posture toward us. And it's in one word, contempt, contempt. What is the world's posture towards believers? It is contempt. So verses three and four set the context for the whole Psalm. It is a corporate Psalm. Have mercy on us, on us, for we have had more than enough. Our soul has had more than enough. And so this is really the people of God bearing testimony to their own experience. It's experience of two things, contempt, and then there's another word there, scorn in verse four. I didn't make that a separate idea because scorn is really goes with contempt. But look at those two words, contempt and scorn. Contempt is a really heavy word. It means to view someone as worthless. It almost means to disregard someone, meaning they're not even worthy of regard. Someone who has contempt elevates themselves to a place of superiority. And for whatever reason, their background, the way in which they were raised, their stage of life, the color of their skin, whatever it may be, they have come to an idea that they're better than someone else. And so contempt is looking at someone as if they're not worthy of any value. It really means that they're worthless. One of the ways we use this kind of word today is someone can be held in contempt of court. What that would mean is a judge would perceive from the attitude of someone in the court that they're viewing the judge or the courtroom with contempt. Meaning by their attitude and by their words and by their lack of respect, they're gonna hold someone in contempt. What they're saying is, you're acting as if we don't matter. You're acting as if we were worthless. You have no respect for the court of law. You have no respect for the judge whatsoever. Meaning the judge has perceived that they really view this whole thing as worthless and the judge as well. It's a really sad and heavy word. Now, scorn is the voice of contempt. Now, sometimes contempt doesn't have a voice. Sometimes it just has a look. Sometimes it just has an attitude. As a matter of fact, part of contempt is just walking by someone and having no regard for them whatsoever. So sometimes the worst thing you can do for someone is nothing at all. Sometimes you can look at them in a way that brings contempt. But when contempt has words, it's words of scorn. It means mocking words or laughing at someone or demeaning someone. This is the experience that God's people have in this moment. They're saying, this is what we're experiencing. The contempt, the feeling of being worthless or not enough, and the scorn that goes along with it. The mocking, the demeaning words. 
They're experiencing it from a group of people in verse four. Look at it. From those who are at ease and from the proud. Those who are at ease would refer to someone who because of their position, maybe because of their wealth, they just don't need anything. And they look at others who do need something, who are less than them and just view them as, as worthless altogether. So it gives this idea of someone who has really in the eyes of the world become esteemed. They've made it. And after they have made it, they look at others as not being worth it. And they're the proud. And so in their own heart, they've become arrogant. They've exalted themselves. They've exalted themselves to a place in their mind that is so high, they're almost in reality looking down on everyone else. Not valuable, worthless, not valuable. No respect, no regard whatsoever. This is the attitude that the people of God are experiencing. And it seems that they're experiencing it for their relationship to the Lord. I think about Psalm 120, if you were with us. Psalm 120 is the beginning of the journey with Jesus. And it's in that moment in which the psalmist wakes up and realizes that he believed a lie. <laughs> the lie that there's something better than Jesus. The lie that you can find satisfaction outside of Jesus. The lie that freedom is outside of Jesus instead of the fact that freedom is actually found in submission to Jesus Christ. The lie that the approval of people is better than the approval of God. The lie that the things of the world will satisfy you. All of that. The psalmist wakes up one day and says, I believe the lie and I gotta get out of here. This is miserable because they've realized that sin is really just self-destruction. It's self-harm. But it seems like when you get to Psalm 123, they have left the liars, but the liars haven't left them. And so all the voices are still there saying, I can't believe you gave your life to the Lord. What a joke. Look how much fun we're having. I can't believe you left this. And so they're receiving kind of the mocking, the disdain, the cynicism, the snarky remarks that all are coming from those they have left in order to join themselves with the people of God. They're feeling the weight and the heaviness and the pain of the scorn and the contempt. But the contempt and the scorn because of your relationship with Jesus, although real, is, is not the only application for this text. As a matter of fact, I think as we think about our journey with the Lord, sometimes there's all kinds of different scorn and contempt we can experience that's not from our relationship with the Lord at all. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it comes from our faith. Sometimes it just comes from the brokenness of others. Sometimes because of someone's pride, we might be the object of their contempt and scorn. Sometimes because of their insecurity, we might be the recipient of their contempt and scorn. One of the things I've learned having navigated through the life of teenagers is that oftentimes a bully is just someone who has their own contempt and scorn and in order to deflect that, they just give it to someone else. Or someone, because of their depth of their insecurity, will walk into school and so that no one notices their insecurities, they just lash out at others to make them insecure. And if they can make them lower, it makes them feel higher. And we experience this all the time in different ways. I really think this applies to any time you're the object of any ridicule or opposition, insults, criticism, any words of belittling. I think this applies from a second grader who's bullied at recess to a senior adult who is told maybe in subtle ways that they're just really a burden. 
I think it pertains to school kids using a word that I've learned from my kids just being judgy. I'm not sure that's a real word, but it works and it communicates. The sense that those around you are just judgy. They're just, by the way they look at you or by the way they talk at you, they're just making a judgment about you. And even if they don't say anything, you can feel the judgment coming upon you. I think it applies to that feeling as well. It applies to being judged for the color of your skin or your social class or your looks or your personality. Sometimes it happens at home. Some of you grew up in homes in which your father or your mother was belittling where they would say really hurtful things to you. And, and you may act as if it doesn't bother you, but the reality is you've got playing in your mind over and over this broken record of some hurtful, belittling words. Words of contempt. Maybe they happen at school. Maybe it happens at the workplace. I think one of the most common places this happens in is our own mind from the devil. You know, we've said a couple of times in this series, sometimes the biggest liar in our life is ourselves. And so the voice of those words that have been spoken, we call them the curse of words. Some word that someone has spoken to you, some story you remember. Sometimes we remember the most random stories from our past in which someone said something to us and it sticks with us our whole life. And sometimes the enemy likes to use those because the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. And so he likes to say these words to us that bring more reminders of shame and hurt. And so sometimes it's just the voice of the enemy that's coming at us and condemning us and belittling us and kind of making us feel as if the contempt and the scorn is heavy upon us. But no matter where you felt those, you need to know that those kind of things that have come upon you are really painful and really, really dangerous. They're painful because they just hurt. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me was an idiot. I would say that to their face. What a dumb statement. Hit me with a stick, but don't say a word about me that's gonna stick with me for 20 years, right? I mean, any kind of physical harm will go away in in time, but my word, someone can give a careless word. Some of you are walking and living under the curse of words. Some careless word that someone spoke to you is still heavy upon you and defining you. And in some ways, if you're not careful, may become your identity because those words hurt. And they bring shame and they bring anger and they bring resentment. They bring bitterness. Bitterness is when you find yourself in the loneliness of a moment replaying a conversation over in your mind and thinking about all the stuff you wish you would have said. That's bitterness. What it means is that some word or some conversation has taken root in your heart and it makes you so mad you wish you could go back and say all the stuff that you now have come up with over the years. That's bitterness. It's painful. They're feeling that, they're feeling that, the the pain of this. But I want you to know this, it's also really dangerous. Holding this contempt and the scorn in your heart and not dealing with it is extremely dangerous and people respond to it in different ways. You know, I think the two most common ways that people deal with this, the the kind of the words or the contempt, the attitudes that come out of them, I see this in everyone, I think particularly in young people, is they either curl up or they bow up. By curl up, I mean, they start to believe it. Well, maybe it's true. You know, one of the things I've noticed is oftentimes the hurtful words that come out of this, and this is just the way the enemy works, often come directly at the place in which you're already most, most insecure. So it just, it hurts more. 
And some people just curl up. They just get shame and they get sad and they hold it all within. Sometimes they just walk around like this. Physically, their head is down. They've curled up. Sometimes they still walk around normal, but the reality is inside, they're filled with so much shame and so much hurt and so much anger and resentment. They're just curled up inside. Sometimes we go dark and we withdraw. We begin to hate ourselves. Like we honestly just hate ourselves because we believe, begin to be, uh, believe the lies. We just curl up. But some people bow up. They just give it right back. You're gonna be loud with me, I'll be loud with you. You got contempt for me, I got contempt for you. And so the louder the voices get, the louder we get. The church throughout the centuries have tried this. My generation in the church tried this. Oh yeah, you don't like us, we don't like you more. You got a problem with us, we got more of a problem with you. And so when the voices of those we don't agree with get loud, we try to get louder. And can I just tell you something? It doesn't work. Nobody's ever to come to Christ because of that attitude in which we've gone louder against the contempt of those who've gotten loud with us. In the same way it doesn't work as a parent, getting louder doesn't help. It doesn't help as a church getting louder. Because what ends up happening is this, we end up becoming Pharisees. So we've decided that our response to it is to make ourselves feel better than everyone else. And instead of looking at someone the way in which Jesus did, we look down on those who don't agree with us and then we're the ones giving contempt. It is a dangerous thing to not deal with the contempt that is in our heart. And they're in a dangerous moment in Psalm 123. You know how I know that? Because look at this little phrase in verse three and in verse four. We have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn. You gotta feel this. Sometimes uh, the Bible will give us a word that's sufficient, but then it'll add another word just to put emphasis on it. So that word enough means we're totally full. We can't have any more. It is not necessary to add more than enough unless you're trying to communicate that it's not just enough, it's more than enough. I'm more than full. So here's the danger of this moment. You know how this goes. Sometimes you may say to your kids, all right, all right, that's enough. And then you, you then transition to that's enough. And then you transition to enough. They're there. The top's about to blow. We've had more than enough of this. We've had more than enough of the hurtful words. We've had more than enough of the disdaining looks. We've had more than enough of being belittled. I've had more than enough of being treated as if I'm not valuable. I've had more than enough. This is where they are. And at that moment in which you're feeling that you've had more than enough, that is a very dangerous place to be. It is at that moment in which you really have to know how to deal with those feelings. Whether they come because you know Jesus or come because of something else, the color of your skin, the way you look, anything else, you gotta be careful there. Because listen, to the extreme, I'm gonna be heavy here for just a minute. To the extreme, this is why people take their lives or take someone else's lives. The reason someone takes their life is because they come to this moment. This is more than enough. The reason you take someone else's life is they've said, this is more than enough. I can't do this anymore. So they curl up, take their life or bow up and take someone else's. So here's the thing, because all of us has experienced this. If we don't know how to deal with this, we may not go to that extreme, but we're gonna go to some extreme. 
And it's really painful and really dangerous. So the question is, is if that's the posture over us, what should our posture be? If it's not to curl up, and if it's not to bow up, what is our posture? Well, the answer is found in the word look. The word look. Our posture is to look toward God. So here it is. Their posture, contempt over us. So they're looking at us like this. Our posture, whenever we experience that contempt, is to not curl up, not bow up, but look up. Look up. Look at how it communicates this in the first two verses. Look at all the words that refer to the way in which we look. To you, I lift up my eyes. So our attention is not on those who are giving all of this to us, but on the Lord. O you who are enthroned in heavens, behold, as the eyes of a servant, there it is again, look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. We're looking, we're looking, we're looking. Our eyes are fixed upon the Lord. So the fact that it says, I lift up my eyes, means we don't look in and get withdrawn. We don't look out and bow up. We look up to the Lord. And there's a real irony here in the end of the first verse. To you who are enthroned in the heavens, and the irony is this, is that those who have contempt feel exalted and big And so they look down on everyone else. But here the psalmist is saying, I'm looking to you because you're the one who's actually enthroned. Nobody else is enthroned. Nobody else is king. Nobody else has any power over me or authority over me. And no one else has the right to look down on me. And so as those are looking down on us, we're looking up to the one who is actually exalted. Pride is exalting yourself and looking down on someone else. But we look to the Lord who actually is exalted. And so we lift our eyes He is the only one in the exalted place. So it says at the end of verse two, look at that. So our eyes look to the Lord, our God. That's really important. So our eyes look to the Lord, our God. But the question is, how do we look? (laughs) How do we look to the Lord? You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it does because we can look in a lot of different ways. And a lot of looks mean a lot of different things. You can communicate a lot with a look. Any of you married? Okay. With one look, I can say to my wife, I'm really ready to leave this party. And with one look, she can look back at me and say, stop looking like you're ready to leave this party. With one look, I can communicate to my kids, they're about to cross the line. And with one look, they can say to me, don't you embarrass me. I know that one well. You can say a lot of things with a look. So how are we looking at the Lord? Are we looking with, hey, I've had enough of this. Are we just, are we kind of like this? Like, how do we look to the Lord? Well, that's the answer in verse two. As, do you see that? Twice. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of a mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God. And so uh, the psalmist is trying to get us to picture this. What, What is the way in which a servant looks to the master? Or a Maid servant looks to the mistress. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things you could say. You could say, well, well, it's about humility or it's about submission. It's about, I'm a servant of the Lord. But none of those things are what it's saying. 
It's not talking about our, our, our humility. It's really not talking about our dependence in, in a sense of, it's not talking about the fact that you're superior over to me and I'm a servant of the Lord. That's not it. Because the key word there is I look to the hand, do you see that, of their master, to the hand of her mistress. That word hand is really important because what it's saying is a servant looks to the hand of a master because the servant needs something from the hand of the master. A maidservant looks to the hand of the mistress and says, I need something from your hand. So the way in which we look to the Lord in this moment is we look to the hand of the Lord and we say this, Lord, I need something from you. You have something in your hand and I want to take hold of it. And so, Lord, I'm feeling, I, I got more than enough of this contempt. The curse of words are heavy on me. I go to bed and I hear them. I wake up and I hear them. And so, Lord, I want to protect myself from all of the bad things that can happen if I respond the negative way. So I look to you and I'm looking to your hand as the Lord's prayer teaches. Give us this day our daily bread. What is that? That's looking to the hand of the Lord to receive something. I need something from your hand. So we look and say, Lord, we see your hand and we see what you have. And we're not going to stop looking up until we get it. You know what they're looking for? It's the third word. Mercy. Our eyes are going to look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. That's the third posture. It's the Lord's posture towards us. The Lord's posture towards us is the posture of mercy. So you see the three postures. It's the posture of contempt. It's the world looking down on us. It's us responding properly and a posture of looking up to the Lord. And when the Lord looks down on us, he gives us mercy. Now that's interesting to me because I would think that the best thing to ask for in this moment and to look for from the hand of the Lord would be vengeance and justice. God, we're looking for vengeance. Rain it down upon their heads. Right? That that's, feels good, doesn't it? But here's what's interesting. Instead of thinking what those people need from the hand of the Lord, they're thinking, what do I need from the hand of the Lord? Because I can't control them, but I can control me. Lord, you know what I need? I need mercy. And the reason they ask for mercy, listen carefully, the reason they ask for mercy is because mercy is the exact opposite of contempt. Contempt is I have elevated myself to a position in which I look down on you and see you as worthless and not deserving of anything. That's contempt. Mercy is not looking down on someone, it's looking at someone and saying, you may or may not deserve it, but I'm gonna give you my love and my attention and my kindness and you're gonna feel valuable because of the way in which I treat you. That's mercy. Mercy is the way Jesus looked at sinners. I was wondering why they were drawn to Jesus. Isn't that really fascinating? They're just drawn to Jesus. Here it is. It's because the religious people of the day looked down on sinners. Jesus walked with them and looked at them. So what they had felt their whole life is contempt and scorn from the religious people. And so why would you want religion? Why would you want that? If every time you were close to them, you just felt contempt and scorn. And then all of a sudden Jesus walks in, God in the flesh, and he doesn't look down, he just looks right at him. And he looks him in the eye and what they see in the eye of the Lord is what they never saw from the eye of a Pharisee. And it is a look of acceptance and affirmation. 
and love. So the psalmist is saying, I'm looking up to you, Lord, because what I need from you is I need mercy. I need to know in this moment in which it doesn't feel like it's true that I am loved and accepted. I need to feel as if there's something valuable to me. And the only way I can feel that is if you would help me to know that by from your hand giving me the sense that I'm valuable. And that's, that's mercy. So here's the glorious news of the gospel is that we deserve contempt, but we got mercy. I mean, think about this. It is absolutely disgusting for one human being to have contempt for another human being. It's disgusting. It's demonic for one human being because of the color of someone's skin or the way in which they live or anything like that to feel a sense of contempt over someone else. That's demonic. Because no human being has any more value than another human being. Think about this. It is absolutely justifiable for the Lord to have contempt over us. <laughs> because he actually does look down on us. Like from an elevated place. He is the exalted one. He is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. And yet here we are sinful human beings. Rebellious towards God. Constantly running away from him. Trying to make ourselves God. The way we do that is by saying I'm not going to care about you. I'm going to live my own life. That's elevating ourselves to the position of God. I'm going to be my own God. And so God has every right to have contempt on us, but instead what he gives us is what the world will never give us, and that is mercy. You see, think about this. The world comes and looks down on us. We come and look up to the Lord, and the Lord comes down and looks at us. That's the gospel. That Jesus comes in the flesh, God in the flesh, and he looks directly at us. And what he says through his death, burial, and resurrection is I created you and I love you and I'm for you. And no matter what anybody else says to you, I accept you and I affirm you in the name of Jesus Christ. Everything you need is found in me. That's the voice of mercy. The voice of mercy must speak louder in our hearts than the verse, the voice of contempt. So in our journey, this psalm is really about one thing. It's about our identity. Am I what they say I am? Am I the words of someone else? Am I the affirmation of others? Am I the expectation of others? Am I what my dad said or what my mom said or what a friend said? Am I all of those things? And the answer of Psalm 123 is no, you're not. You're not. And on this journey, there's going to be all kinds of words, and they're all going to want to stick to you. The point of Psalm 123 is to say this. You find your identity in the eyes of the Lord. You find your identity in the voice of mercy, not the voice of contempt. That's Psalm 123. But the Lord is looking to us, and he has given us all of the things we need the most, acceptance, affirmation, and approval. And contempt and scorn, listen, are just a regular part of life. It's just a regular part of life. And we will experience it on this journey, but it is on this journey in which we make a choice when those words come to us to look up and to allow the eyes of the Lord himself to tell us who we really are. And that's really the practical application to this on our journey. We don't curl up. No. We don't bow up. No. We look up. We say, in your hand, there's something I really need. Lord, I really need for your voice to be louder than the voices I've heard in the past. 
So I'm looking for your hand to give me what I so desperately need, and that is, that is mercy. And the reason we do that day after day after day is because we have the promise of Lamentations 3, 12 and 13, which says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, the reason we need that promise is because every single morning, the voices of contempt are gonna come back to your head. And instead, you listen to the voice of mercy. You get in this book and you allow that voice to be greater than any other voice. And what you will find as you immerse yourself in the word of God, as you continue to preach the truth of the gospel to yourself, what you will find is this. Listen, the mercy of God is greater than your pain. The mercy of God is more than your shame. The mercy of God is more than your insecurity. The mercy of God is more than your sense of inadequacy. The mercy of God is more than anything anybody has ever said to you. And it's all yours in Christ Jesus. You have to go get it. You go to the hand of the Lord and you get the mercy of God, which is always more. That's good news. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.